Thank you. What an appropriate song for this Thanksgiving Sunday. Much to be thankful for, aren't we? And one of the things that we get to be thankful for is the arrival of new babies to our families. And so today we have a parent-child dedication, and I'm going to ask Chuck and Olivia Gomez uh, to come and bring their precious baby girl, Danielle, Sofia Gomez. And also we have witnesses, Michael and Laura Ramos, who will stand with them uh, as we have this parent-child dedication. <clears throat> what a blessing uh, this is. Uh, what a great way to give thanks this week, isn't it? I had the privilege of officiating Chuck and Olivia's wedding a few years ago in Napa Valley. And, uh, and then uh, after some time, the Lord decided to bless them with this beautiful girl, Danielle, Sophia. And today, Chuck and Olivia, you're coming to, first of all, dedicate yourselves uh, in front of the church. I know you already are dedicated, but to give witness to the church that you are committed to being Christian parents, parents that teach Danielle what it means to love God and to trust God. And uh, the witnesses here, Michael and Laura Ramos, are here to, to be a support to the parents, to, to encourage them, to let them know that they're not alone. Uh, in this task and, and with their words and with their deeds, teach Danielle what it means to love God. So we want to present a certificate uh, to uh, the baby dedication for Chuck and Olivia Gomez, committing yourselves to Christian nurture of Danielle Sofia Gomez, entering into this commitment at Calvary Baptist Church as part of the congregational worship on November 21st, 2021. And then 3 John 1, 4 says, I have no greater joy than this to hear that my children are walking in the truth, signed by yours truly and Pastor Susan, Pastor for Families and Children. So, uh, Michael, I'm going to ask you to hold that for them and then uh, give it to them later. And then we're presenting Danielle with this little tiny New Testament, maybe her first Bible, just a reminder of how important it is to tell her the Bible stories so that when she grows up and she can read them, she'll be familiar with them. All right. And so I'll present that to you. Well, uh, I wonder if she'll come with me. Will you come with me? No? You want to go with me? Okay, she wants to run around. Okay. Isn't she gorgeous? Yeah? She is pretty. Yeah. Would you let me hold you? No? Okay. All right. Well, uh, would you join me as we pray for these parents and witnesses and this beautiful girl? Father, we thank you so much for Danielle and her arrival to this family after much prayer and much consideration, you've blessed them in such a way to give them this beautiful baby girl. And now, Father, we thank you for her health and her strength, her energy, her independent spirit that we can see already. And we pray that you help her to continue to develop in mind and body and spirit, that you protect her from evil. As, as Chuck and Olivia dedicate themselves, that you will strengthen them and give them wisdom and give them grace. And, and that Michael and Laura will come right beside them and encourage them and pray for them. And the entire Calvary family, that we ourselves would dedicate to praying for Danielle, to loving her, to teaching her in Bible class, to be counselors at summer camp, and, and to teach her with our example, our attitude, and our words what it means to love Jesus, so that one day when she's able to do so, that she'll just trust you because she's seen so many good testimonies around her. Bless this family. 
Bless the extended family, Father, and we dedicate Danielle to you in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. All right, church. Well, uh, you are dedicating yourselves to praying for this family, so don't forget to pray for the Gomez's. All right. God bless you. God bless you. You want to stay here? All right. Do we have a camera somewhere? Is there a camera? Oh, here she is. Okay. Let's take a good picture. Right over there. Okay. <laughs> All right, thank you very much. God bless you guys. Yeah. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you. What a joy that is. What a blessing that is. Amen. Well, people have uh, had quotes about winning. And I prob you probably know a lot of quotes. There's a lot of quotes on the internet about uh, winning. Uh, Winston Churchill is credited with saying, he who dares wins. He who dares wins. Uh, and then there's this famous football coach that many of you have heard, uh, Vince Lombardi. He said, the, one, the man who wins is the one who thinks he can. So he would say it's all about uh, thinking that you can and then someone else says, he who wins through fraud is not a winner. Uh, and, and there is a measure of truth to all of these. We could probably quote 10 or 12 people and, and maybe say, yeah, that, that, that's true. Uh, there's a measure of truth. But what we want to ask today is what did Jesus say about winning? When in Matthew 5, 5, Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. That's really unexpected. What Jesus says here is that the meek will win in the end. That the final prize goes to the meek of all people. They will inherit the earth. We would think that those that get the big prize are those who, who work hard, those, those who push uh, those who, who step on others to get to the top, th those that are mean uh, and, and cheat, those are the ones that seem to win. That's why the statement of Jesus seems to go against our common sense. It, it may even seem to go against our common experience. We're in a series that uh, we've called the Beatitudes, a disciple's distinctives, and we're looking at eight sayings of Jesus that start with the word blessed. And... Uh, and, and, and we're looking at these as characteristics of genuine disciples. These are things that distinguish people in the kingdom of God, people who follow Jesus. And we've looked at two already. We looked at humble. A genuine disciple is humble. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. We looked at that two Sundays ago. So a genuine disciple is humble. Last Sunday, Pastor David Chan talked about broken. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And so genuine disciples are characterized by their ability to be broken, by their ability to mourn and grieve, uh, and then receive the comfort from God. And then today we're going to this third one that is about meekness. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And so as we, as we look at that, um, we, we, we want to say a couple of things. The first thing I want to say is that meek is not the same thing as weak. Uh, you know, sometimes when we think of meek, we, we think of weakness, don't we? 
And they might have something in common because they're not, the meek or the weak are not admired by the culture. Uh, there, there seems to be a, a sense of loss to, to both. But there's really something very opposite about meekness and weakness. In fact, uh, they're, they're very different because weakness is not having the ability to do something. Weakness in character, for example, is the inability to do the right thing. People who are weak can't do the right thing because they can't. They won't because they can't. Weakness is lacking the power to stand for yourself, lacking the power to stand on your convictions. But that's not what meekness is. You know, I, I, when I think of meekness, I, I think, I remember my dad because he loved to ride horses. Uh, he had horses and, and he went riding. This is a picture of him uh, when he was still alive. And, and this is what he loved to do. And I remember when my children and I would go to Kansas and visit him in his little ranch, we'd get to go horseback riding and the children loved it. Now, I'm not a very good horseback rider, so I'm okay when it's trotting, but when he begins to pick up some speed, I get scared, you know? Now, these horses, the way my dad rides them, they look so docile and gentle, don't they? But no one would dare say that a horse is weak, right? A horse has incredible strength. In fact, we measure the power of modern cars by horsepower, don't we? See, it's not that horses are weak. It's that horses choose to be meek. They choose to be led. They choose to be gentle. They let their master lead them where he will, not because they can't do else, but because they choose to do so. Meekness is not weakness. It's a choice. It's having the strength to do the right thing even when you know it's going to cost you. Meekness is having the power to put up with being mistreated and being misunderstood because you know who you are and you know whose you are and you know that he sits on the throne and that he's king and that he's in charge and you rest in that. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness means that you choose your battles. It doesn't mean that you never fight. Sometimes we got to fight. Sometimes we got to be warriors. But it means that you're not the one picking the fights. It means that you don't engage everyone who wants to jump you. Meekness is knowing how to choose your fights. It's to be gentle, to be forbearing, to be long-suffering, to be deferring. I was in Galveston this week, and we had our Texas Baptist annual meeting, and Monday morning, a young pastor by the name of Jordan Villanueva was, was preaching about what he called the spiritual gift of deferment. And he was talking about April, uh, uh, April Acts 15, and what happened in the Jerusalem council, when the people in Jerusalem, the Jewish Christians, found out that Gentile Christians, in other words, non-Jewish Christians, were coming to faith, but they weren't being circumcised, they weren't following the cultural norms of the Jews, and, and they were offended by that. And so they had this meeting to talk about what are we going to do with these Christians who are not circumcised, they're not following our food laws, they're not eating kosher, can we really allow them uh, to have full fellowship in the church? And they have this big fight. It felt like a Baptist business meeting. And, and they're passionate about it. And, and then finally, uh, when, when they listen to each other, when someone speaks sense, as Peter stands up, they realize, look, these are people that... Christ has saved. These are people that God has given the Holy Spirit to. Now, our preference 
is that they would eat kosher. Our preference is they wouldn't eat tamales from Delias. Our, our preference is that they would be circumcised and they would keep all our heritage and our cultural laws. But because God brought him in, we're going to defer. We're, we're going to give up our preference so that we can have fellowship. And that's what meekness is like. The Jerusalem council had power and authority. They could have said, look, if you don't get circumcised and, and if you keep eating that pork and bacon, you can't be a, a part of the church. They had the power to do that, but they chose to lay their power down in order to embrace, in order to defer and have fellowship. That's what meekness looks like. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Meek is not weak. The second thing I want to say to us today is don't be the bully. I don't know how many of you are old enough to remember the Karate Kid movie. It's one of my favorites. And uh, it starts by, by someone being a bully to Danny. And, and then he finds his mentor, um, that can catch flies with his chopsticks. I mean, I think that's the greatest skill ever, right? I've tried it and it's not easy. Um, and, and, and he teaches Danny how to stand for himself against this bully, but not just how to fight physically. He teaches him how to have the right attitude, how, how to have self-control, how, how, to, how to deal with life in this situation. And it's interesting because all of the movies that we love, all of the superhero movies start out with a bully an oppressor, somebody who does something to, to someone who's vulnerable, and then a mentor that comes along and teaches that person to deal with this situation. And we connect with that because we all know people like that. We all know bullies, and we all know people that get picked on, people that get taken advantage of, people that get misunderstood and mistreated. And so we connect with that. And it's a reminder to us that there will always be bullies. There's always going to be tyrants. As long as we live in a broken world, there's always going to be tyrants. Always going to be oppressors who step on others to get places. But what Jesus says to us is don't be that bully. Don't be the tyrant. Don't be the oppressor. There's going to be one in the schoolyard. There's going to be one at work that gossips about you and tells lies about you and tries to get you in trouble. There's one in the neighborhood that is always causing trouble. It's interesting how many people have time to, to make your life hard. They make time and spend energy to, to make your life difficult. But there are people like that. And Jesus says, look, you be different. You be distinguished by your meekness. You show that you are a true follower of Jesus by being meek. The apostle Paul had many people who opposed him, criticized him. They spent an incredible amount of energy opposing him. It's hard to believe for me how, how many people are doing good things and other people dedicate themselves to trip them up. Apostle Paul talks about that in, in his epistles, all these people that opposed him and criticized him. And Paul was someone that had power and had authority. God had chosen him as an apostle to the Gentiles. He had seen revelations. He's seen visions. The spirit of God spoke directly to him. And Paul says, but God wanted to make sure it didn't get to my head. God wanted to make sure that I didn't get conceited. He, he realized there's always a struggle for the believer. When we have been blessed, when we ha have been given the power of God, when we have been called children of God, there's always a temptation for it to get to our head. There's always a temptation for pride. And so he says God sent him something to keep him in check. He talks about it in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12. 
verse 6, if you want to go there with me. 2 Corinthians 12, 6. This is what Paul says. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain so no one would think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. Or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Wow, what an incredible insight from the Apostle Paul. There's been much speculation about what this thorn in the flesh was. Um, I, I could conjecture that maybe it was somebody who, who just made his life very hard, <laughs> a messenger of Satan to torment him. And he prayed three times for the Lord to remove him, but the Lord said, my grace is enough, it's sufficient for you. What we know about Paul is that he saw God as displaying his power through this very uncomfortable situation. That through this painful situation, God was making Paul stronger. Even through the thorn in the flesh, Paul, God was working to make Paul stronger. We all have people in our lives that we might feel are a thorn in the flesh, a pain in the neck. Uh, some people call them EGRs. Have you ever heard that? Hey, that's an EGR. And you go, well, what? what's an EGR? Extra grace required to deal with that person. Don't use it too much. Uh, I, I call them God's sandpaper. You know, they're rough, but they make us smooth, right? God uses them to, to sharpen us. And the Bible says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. There'll always be bullies. There'll always be tyrants. There'll always be oppressors until the Lord comes back. But the word reminds us today, don't be the bully and don't make heroes of the bullies. The culture may think that bullies are cool, but Jesus doesn't. So the people of Jesus shouldn't make heroes of them either. And then here's the third thing. Christ will fight your battles. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Jesus praises those disciples, those followers who are meek, and he offers them confidence for doing so. He offers a promise as a promise keeper. Jesus is really quoting from the Old Testament. Psalm 37, 11. It says, but the meek will inherit the, the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. So Jesus quotes the Old Testament and he sharpens the promise. Not just peace and prosperity, but you will actually inherit the earth. Blessed are the Christ followers who are meek because they can trust that Christ will fight their battles. They can be calm in their strength through Christ. See, those who push others around, those who step on other people, those who cheat their way through life, that they're bullies and tyrants and oppressors, they show that they don't trust God and they don't fear God. They gotta make a way for themselves because they don't believe that God can make a way where there seems to be no way. But you and I believe that. You and I know that. 
We don't have to make our own way because we have one on our side that makes a way for us. You know, when you think about lion cubs, you know, lion cubs, when they're with their father, they don't have to act tough, do they? They don't have to worry about anything. They don't have to impress anybody. Because as long as they're with dad, they can be secure. And we're reminded today that we can rest in Jesus because he's both lion and lamb. Isaiah tells us about how he was a lamb. Isaiah 53, 7 says, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before his shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Jesus, when he was being oppressed, was meek and quiet, not because he was weak. Do you know that the Jesus who told the winds and the waves to calm down in the midst of the storm, who cast out demons, who raised Lazarus from the dead, when he was being oppressed, when they were spitting on his face, when they were putting a crown of thorns on his head, do you know that he could have called fire from heaven and destroyed his oppressors? When he was hanging on the cross and when he was being insulted and when he was bleeding and when he was pierced, do you know he could have called a legion of angels to rescue him, but he didn't. He didn't because he loved you and he loves me because he understood the Father's plan and he submitted to the Father's plan. He was in communion with the Father. He chose to be a lamb. He chose to be meek, not because he had to, but because he loved the Father. But he wasn't just a lamb, he is a lion. Revelations chapter one gives us this vision of John, it says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. You know, every time God shows up or one of his angels shows up, that's how they start their sentence. Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. You know, Jesus, when he was oppressed, when he was treated unjustly, trusted the Father and his will. And the Father vindicated him and lifted him up as he deserved. As the Lamb, Jesus models meekness for us. As a lion, he reminds us that he will be there at the end. When it's all said and done, when it's all said and done, the day of accounting, we will stand before Jesus. Not before the bullies, not before public opinion, not, not before those who criticize us, not before those who misunderstood us, not before those who judge us. We will stand before the one who loved us and went to the cross for us so that he could redeem us. He will be our judge, our Lord, our friend, our savior, our redeemer, our lifter up of our head. And because Jesus is a victorious warrior, we can claim his promises. I love the promise in Isaiah 54, 14, which says, in righteousness you will be established. Tyranny will be far from you. You will have nothing to fear. Terror will be far removed. It will not come near you. This is a promise for the future. And then I love verse 17. This is one you should underline or memorize. 
No weapon forged against you will prevail. And you will refute every tongue that accuses you. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And this is their vindication for me, declares the Lord. Listen, when we trust Christ, we don't have to prove anything to anybody. In fact, you don't even have to prove anything to God because God already has chosen to love you. Before you were born, he chose to love you. And he's accepted you because of Jesus Christ. In Christ, you are loved and accepted and clothed in righteousness. You don't have to impress God and you don't have to impress the world. You just have to be you. You just have to be you in him. You just have to accept his love and live in it. We can walk in strength and humility waiting on him. We don't have to play defense because he's playing offense for us. One of the, my favorite stories in the Bible is, is that of Esther. It's a beautiful story of an orphan girl who is in a strange land, in a foreign land, and, and there's a measure of meekness in her life as she takes her, her role and she obeys others. Uh, and does what she's supposed to do. But within the story of Esther, there's a really great story that you're familiar with is the story of Haman and Mordecai. You know, Mordecai was Esther's uncle who adopted her when she became an orphan. And when Esther became a queen, Mordecai would hang out in the king's court at the gate. He didn't seek a place of prominence. He didn't want a title. He didn't want recognition. He didn't want glory. He was just happy that his adopted daughter and niece was queen and that she would do what God had called her to do at the right moment for such a time as this. So he just hung out there, humble. And then there's this other guy by the name of Haman. Haman is this guy that the king elevated to a high position and, and Haman loved that. He loved to be in the king's palace and to be recognized. In fact, the king said when Haman comes in the court, everybody should bow down to him. And when people would bow down to Haman, Haman would just eat it up. Except that when he would go by the gate, Mordecai would not bow his knee. Mordecai knew that it's only one to whom we bow our knee. And it bothered Haman to no end. He could have had a thousand people bow down before him, but he saw Mordecai standing and it just irked him. And Haman grew to hate Mordecai. He would go home every day and complain to his wife about it. And then uh, one day the king was having insomnia. He couldn't sleep. And so he asked for the court officials to bring the chronicles, the, the journal of the things that have happened in the palace and, and to read it to him. He was hoping to fall back asleep. <laughs> with the Chronicles. And, and as they're reading to him, there's this event that is uh, accounted for where someone had plotted to kill the king. And, um, and Mordecai heard about it and he said something about it and the king's life was spared. And the king goes, there's a guy named Mordecai that saved my life and, and I didn't know about it. Has anything been done for him? Have we rewarded him? Did we get him a, a trip to the Bahamas? Did we, did we recognize him somehow? And, and they said, no, we, we haven't recognized him because, well, we have to do it. He saved my life. And so he's scratching his head and he's thinking, how am I going to honor this person that, that rescued my life, that, that discovered this plot? And, uh, and while he's thinking about that, Haman 
is talking to his wife about how much he hates Mordecai and how he wants to destroy Mordecai and all his people. And his wife tells him, well, why don't you go to the king and tell the king to execute him? And so Haman has the courage that his wife gave him and he's going into the court to tell the king to execute Mordecai. And as he's coming in, the king sees him and says, oh, I'm glad you're here. I have a question for you. And he says, Haman, what would you do for the man that the king delights to honor? And Haman, so full of himself, says, who else is he talking about but me? What would I like? And he says, well, the king should put a royal robe on him that the king has worn and the king should get a horse, a royal horse that the king has written on and he should put this man on the horse and then he should get one of the princes from your palace and you should parade him around town and say, this is how the king honors those in whom he delights. And the king said, that's an excellent idea. Go ahead and do that for Mordecai. You, I, could, I, I wish I could have been there to see Haman's face. And then having to put the, the, the robe on Haman and put a crown on him and, and, and put him on this royal horse and then Haman walking around town saying, this is what happens to the man in whom the king delights. God will fight your battles. There is a king that will make sure that things are made right in the end. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. The meek can be confident that God, God will fight our battles. We can rest assured that God sits on the throne and he will make sure that things are made right. When it is all said and done, it is Christ who decides who gets what. When it's all said and done, it is Christ who rewards the meek and punishes the arrogant. Blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Those who have trusted their lives to Jesus, those who have said, I received the gift of Jesus because he died on the cross for my sins. He rose from the dead to conquer death and sin forever and he ascended to heaven to be king of kings and lord of lords. Those who have trusted Christ with their lives will reign with him. Did you know that? Did you know that if you give your life to Jesus, the promise is that you will reign with him in the coming kingdom? And if you want to reign with Jesus, you need to live according to kingdom values now. And those are the values that Jesus gives us here. You and I are in God's last will and testament. We're heirs of his kingdom. Christ saves us by grace. He secures us by grace. And it is in grace that we have the power to be like him, to be humble and broken and meek. And so we are called to trust him, trust him fully. Find his strength in your meekness. Don't be a bully. Don't make heroes of bullies. Let Christ fight your battles. We are to be distinguished as disciples of Jesus by our meekness. And if Jesus expects his disciples to be meek, we should expect that from each other. In fact, we should expect that of our leaders. We should expect that our pastors be meek, that our deacons be meek, that our group leaders be meek, that our missionaries be meek, because that's the way of the kingdom. We should expect that of each other. So I want to invite you today to trust your life fully to this king who will make everything right, who will lift you up above the culture and the fray to a new dimension 
You can trust him because he loves you. He died on the cross for you. He rose from the dead. And he's sitting on his throne today as king and Lord. Will you give your life to him? Will you trust him today fully? And then focus all your strength on serving him and trust him with the outcome. Don't waste your life fighting battles that don't matter. Invest yourself in serving the king and trust him with the outcome. And value meekness in other disciples. Let's stand together. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for Jesus and these beatitudes that are really difficult to understand because they go so counter-cultural, so counter-intuitive. But you're the king, and this is your kingdom. So thank you for letting us know how your kingdom works. And now help us to trust you. There are people here who need to give their lives to you right now to call you Savior and Lord. They've been trying to fight their own battles. They've been trying to live their own lives. But today, they come to the point where they surrender to you. Father, let your spirit convict them, draw them, save them right now, whether they're in person or online. Bring people into your kingdom as they trust Jesus as Savior and Lord. And those that already trust you, Lord, forgive us when, when we're the oppressor. Forgive us when we're the bully, we're the troublemakers. Help us to be meek. Help us to be strong in you and not in ourselves. Help us to devote our energy in serving you and others rather than dealing with people who, who won't be there at the end. And may we receive from you power and grace and the promises that you give. As you consider how God has spoken to you today, I wanna to invite you to respond you can respond in prayer right where you are, make a commitment. You can fill out a connect card at home, online, or here. If you wanna come and kneel at the front during this song, you're welcome to kneel, but this is your time to do business with God. Some of you will choose this time to, to worship God with your giving. You can give online uh, on your phone. You can give on these boxes as we exit. But let's respond by giving back to God, by surrendering, by trusting Him with our lives, with our finances, with our commitment.